Right, if you've got a Bible with you, otherwise it would be on the screen, could you turn to Mark chapter 10 and the verse 35? While you're finding that, uh, I was sort of writing this on Thursday morning and my daughter Ruth sort of saw me at lunchtime and said, you know, what have you been doing? You know, I said, oh, I've been writing my sermon, you know, and look, here it is. And she looked at me and, because usually if I'm writing a sermon on Thursday morning, by the end of Thursday morning, I'm lucky if I've got about five or six lines written down. Uh, but as, as Sam pointed out, it's something we've been looking at over the summer we're even looking at before the summer, but particularly over the summer and so on. So actually when it came to prepare and write, it actually seemed to work quite well. So I'm going to try and keep to my notes today. Right, Mark chapter 10 and from verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptised with the baptism with which I am baptised? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptised you will be baptised. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think this is quite a well-known passage from the Bible, but I always have the feeling that the ten were indignant mainly because John and James had got in before they had a chance to do so, more than anything else. But also, we do have evidence that the Jesus' disciples were a bit slow on the uptake. But if you go back in your Bible to Mark chapter 9 and verse 33, we have the following. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in their house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. I think Jesus was emphatically making the point that his kingdom would not be like other kingdoms and nations, which the people, his followers, were familiar around about them. So in his kingdom, rule would not be primarily by lording it over people, 
or exercising authority over them, but by being a servant. And I think this idea was so foreign, so alien to Jesus' hearers, that it took repetition to drive the idea home. And I think, any, I think we need to be aware, actually, as an aside, that any concept we have now that government is there to serve the people rather than people there to serve the government comes out of Jesus' teaching and the impact of Jesus' teaching over the centuries. Because Jesus' teaching on the idea of servant leadership wasn't an idea which existed within either the Roman or Greek cultures at that time. And I think it's important that this general principle is established before I actually get to what my topic is. Because if you aim to lead the church in the church because you want to be the boss, you would harm the church, no matter how good and effective you are as a boss. If you want to aim to be great in the church, your aim should be so that you can serve better. So the theme I'm speaking on today is the role and function of deacons in the church. And it's something which, as Sam and I said, we'd be looking at over the summer at a family meeting earlier this year. And uh, that's, in a sense, why we've now come to it now. So I think a lot of the original thought uh, which led up to that was obviously Sam and myself are the elders in the church, but how should we be supported in leading the church? And it was, we wanted to find a way to do that which we would see as being biblical. So my aim this week is to give an overview of deacons, and then Sam will follow on next week looking at who can be a deacon, uh, including whether women can be deacons or not. So I'm not going to touch on that. I think it's true to say that in the past, New Frontiers churches tended not to have deacons. Uh, some always have, but not all. Because the emphasis has been on church government by a team of elders. But I think there's also, at the back of people's minds, there's always been a recognition that deacons in the church is the biblical model. And then we run into the issue that if we avoid the biblical model, we then have to try and find alternatives to take their place, which I think generally end up, however good the motivation in doing that, being less effective. So the first question really is, what is a deacon? Now it's one of these words we've got in the English Bible which has come directly from the Greek. So it comes from a Greek word diakonos which means servant. Now while in the Gospels Jesus does not specifically use that word of himself as I read from Mark chapter 10 when we have that bit at the end of that passage where Jesus says the son of man came not to be served but to serve the words used there are from the same basic root. 
And so Jesus was using that kind of word about himself. We also have in John chapter 12 and verse 26, Jesus says the following. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. So we can see there from what Jesus was saying, that among other things, he came to serve. And as his followers, all of us are called to be his servants also. But... If I've been talking about things which talk about serving, where does this leave us with deacons? The word which gets translated deacon in the Bible is used about 30 times in the Gospels and letters. But it's only in most translations, it's only actually translated as deacon three times, which I'll come to in a moment. The other times, it either gets translated as minister or as servant. And it, I only looked it up in two translations, uh, the AV, because that's what I had the most detailed concordance in, and the ESV, which is the Bible I'm reading from. And interestingly, in the AV, it gets trans out of the 30 times, it gets translated as minister 20 times, and with the ESV, it gets translated as servant 20 times. So what word often gets used in English can depend a bit on what the translators, how they would interpret what a verse particularly is saying. But of these 30 times, at least seven of them are ones where it's talking about a servant as you would in uh, everyday English kind of thing. So it's talking about the king's attendant, a servant, in that sense or talks about, in one case, somebody being a servant of evil. So, therefore, it's talking, you know, as a servant, as you just expect a servant to be described. But in the other times, it is talking about service uh, in the context of serving in the church. But it's worth looking at the three examples where uh, the word is usually translated deacon. The first one we find is in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, where Paul, writing to Philippians, says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Now, the word which has been translated here, overseers, is the same word which, uh, or is the same concept as we would have with elders. So basically here, uh, Paul is writing to Philippians, writing to the whole church, but also saying that it is particularly including in that the elders and the deacons. The other time we find a reference to deacons in most, translated that way in most Bibles, is in 1 Timothy in chapter 3, where it appears in both verse 8 <coughs> excuse me, and verse 12 where in verse 8 it says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And in verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. 
Now, if you're paying attention earlier, you'll notice that those two ones relate particularly uh, to uh, what Sam's going to be talking about next week. So I'll leave those verses to him, and he can deal with them, which means I get left with one verse referring to deacons. But it's, in one sense, it's interesting that we see that there's very little in the scriptures on deacons. Now, when that happens, we generally have two ways of looking at trying to understand it. One of which would be to look at, well, how is the word used elsewhere in the culture at the time? How would it be understood? That is absolutely no help to us, because in the culture at the time, it was purely understood as a servant. It wasn't used any other way, and servants were seen as the lowest of the low, in a sense. Being a servant was not, it was not seen as having any positive attributes. You know, being a slave, being a servant was seen as very negative. You know, you, what you wanted to be was the boss. You didn't want to be a servant. Also, the fact that there's very little told is that it means that, in one sense, there is not a lot of detail which we have to directly apply. We go on the basis that the Bible tells us what we need to know. I'm sure all of us have things we'd like to know more about, particularly in some of the historical books at the, and sort of at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, how we should interpret that, for example. There's often things we'd like to know more about, but the Bible doesn't tell us more about because we don't need to know about it. So there is an element that because the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail as to what the role of a deacon is, therefore there is a lot of flexibility in how that can be applied. So the role a deacon might have at one period in the church might be different uh, from another period. But I think what it is clear from Philippians 1 verse 1 is that churches should have deacons. So how do we take things further? I think if all we had was those verses in Philippians and in Timothy in the Bible, I think deacons would have sort of almost fizzled out as being sort of a uh, something which happened at one stage of the church and then very quickly died out. But when we look at the historical evidence we have of the early centuries of the church, we find that deacons were seen as being very important. And you find right across the geographical area where the church was that churches had elders and deacons. So it wasn't something which just developed in one or two places. It wasn't just, if you like, in the churches which Paul set up, which had deacons. I think the evidence is that all the churches had deacons. Now, the historical evidence is the way it worked was slightly different in some places to others, but it was seen there, everywhere. So, what do Sam and I see as being the biblical, main biblical things which uh, 
we can pick up about deacons. I think the first thing is the fact that you have deacons in a church emphasizes the high status of serving in the church. And it means also that there are role models in the church for everybody. Not everybody is going to be uh, suited to being an elder. <coughs> but we could have people can look to the deacons as a role model of what they can, the way they can serve in the church. I think a second thing we learn from what the Bible does show us is that deacons can release the elders to fulfill their function better. So therefore, if you don't have deacons within the church, things which, in a sense, the deacons should be doing tends to fall back on the elders doing. Now, I know some people have commented to both Sam and myself that they think both of us are trying to do too much, which in many ways is true. I think if we are trying to do too much, it's probably because we do have a heart for serving. And when you have a heart for serving, you see something which needs doing, your tendency is to make, pick up and make sure it gets done. And elders should serve as much as deacons serve. It's not a case that elders do one thing and therefore they're not serving. All in the church serve. But I think it is worth making a point on this, that being a deacon is not a stepping stone to being an elder. I think in the historical church, this is uh, where the role of deacons got diminished when it started being seen that, uh, first of all, you became a deacon, then you became a priest, or which was the term was getting used by then, and so on. And I think the role of deacons got downplayed when you started getting the idea of a separation between clergy and laity. And I think that is something which, because when you get that kind of clergy-laity divide, whether you intend it or not, you end up with an idea that if you're going to be a true Christian, you've got to be in the clergy part of it. Almost to be a true Christian, you've got to work full-time at being a Christian. And sort of, if you're not in the clergy part, you're somehow a slightly substandard Christian. And certainly in the me medieval time, that kind of concept was very uh, spoken uh, within the Catholic Church. I don't think it would be now, but at that time it certainly was. So, I think one benefit, therefore, of having deacons is we are making it very clear that we do not have a clergy laity or a minister-pastor-stroke-people contrast. There's only one thing which decides whether you're in the church or not, and that is whether you're baptised. That is your criteria. And I think it is something we need to consciously work against because uh, within society people tend to have a tendency to think in a clergy laity thing 
we need to continually work to make sure that we don't start slipping into that kind of way of thinking ourselves. I think the third point I'd make is I think deacons serve within the church, but also on the outside of the church and fringes. So I don't think you can look at the biblical record and you can see that, you know, it is one or the other. And again, when you look at the historical record, you can see that both things were being done. In applying it to the situation we're in, I think that my fourth point is that, I think the way we would see it is that deacons would usually take responsibility for an area of service within the church. And this will then go on to my next point, that it means that we'd see in the church you would have multiple deacons, but you wouldn't have a team of deacons in the same way that you have a team of elders. So you're not sort of building up two separate power structures in that sense. But obviously because the way we would see the church as being people working together, the deacons would be having a team who would be working with them. My last point ties in a bit with overlaps more into what Sam's going to be talking about next week, so I won't uh, stress it particularly. But I think also it does mean deacons will not necessarily be the best person at doing something in the church because there are other criteria we need to look at, which uh, Sam will be going into next week, beyond just technical expertise. Obviously, uh, if you're giving a deacon responsibility in an area, you'd expect a degree of technical expertise, but it doesn't necessarily mean they have to be the best. And actually, this is an issue, I think, for all of us, if we are going down that way. You might find, feel that you're better at doing something than the person who is uh, given that role as a deacon. So it then, as always, you know, within the church, it, it can challenge our feeling of self-worth. It can challenge whether we think, you know, am I really wanted here or whatever. The answer is, yes, you are wanted here. But we need to remember, in all things, our self-worth comes because of how Jesus sees us and what he's done for us, not in what we do. It's almost the case that if, if your value of who you are depends on you, you being recognised for what you do, there's an issue which needs handling. And it's an issue all of us have to handle at different times of our Christian life. I don't think any of us ever get to the point that we don't have to deal with that in some way or another. Because it's part of the fall, fall, the effect of the fall is that we want to put ourselves in the place where God should be. You know, we think that we have value in and of ourselves. Now, we do have value, but our value is because of what God has put in us and how he sees us. So, 
there's always the need, you know, whenever we get thinking, oh, why is so-and-so, if you like, getting promotion and I'm not? Well, I think to come back to what I've just been saying, if you think there's an issue, one question to ask yourself is, how am I serving? Because once we put the, we, once we put the way we work in the church in terms of how we serve one another, whether you get recognised for that service or not becomes secondary. It's always nice to be recognised for what you do, but that shouldn't be the reason why we're doing it. And again, I think one of the things which, if you know, deacons work well, it is showing that we are serving one another and that is one of the high things we are called to. Some I haven't developed the questions for this week yet, but we will be sending some questions out. You know, going back, looking at the passages I read out, and just talking through. So, if anything I've said rings, you know, you got raises issues with you, it might, you know, if appropriate, bring it up in your growth group. You can always come and back in direct contact with. Uh, uh, me or Sam as well, but uh, I will be. We will be giving, in a sense, a time which we probably sometime next month. But Sam and I haven't worked it out exactly yet. So if you want to give feedback, we will give a sort of a time scale to do that in after next week. But also, we'll be getting uh, feedback from growth group leaders as to what's being uh, discussed in growth groups. So you, you know, you can give feedback there. No, and ask if there's something you particularly want to feed back to us but don't necessarily want to do it directly yourself, ask your growth group leader to feed it back to us. So that's one way of doing that. Let's pray. And if the band could be coming back up as well. Lord, we want to thank you that you have saved us. We want to thank you, Lord, that you've put us here in a church. And Lord, we ask that you would show us how you want our church to grow, to be more of the church you want it to be. Lord, we want to be a church which has an impact in the town. Lord, we want to be a church where we're seeing people saved. And Lord, we pray that you would be guiding us, Lord, in the right way, so the structures we have, the people we have serving in the church, work so that your kingdom progresses rather than as a hindrance, Lord. Lord, we do pray that you would keep all of us uh, from hindering uh, the growth of your church because of anything within us. Because, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come and your name glorified here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.